Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Good morning. You may have been expecting Pastor Randy Hageman, and I am not him. I'm glad to be here. I'm so grateful for our worship arts people and all they do. Week after week, bringing such excellent worship and helping us you know, enter into God's presence. Um, and our media folks, they're, they're kind of behind the scenes here at the soundboard and up in the booth doing things. My, my first ministry at a church was with the lighting and sound media ministry, uh, mostly in a setup and takedown because we did not have our own church building. Occasionally, they would let me turn a dial to a preset position, but they never trust me to actually <laughs> figure it out on my own. And then when we got our own church building, it was a large auditorium, something like this, and uh, the uh, Saturday before our first service, I was up in the catwalk uh, adjusting the, the lights and things, and I, I dropped a wrench. I remember it going down and hitting a seat or something below us. I said, whoa, glad nobody was down there. And shortly after that, they asked me to consider another ministry. And uh, I ended up uh, working in with uh, the children, and, uh, with fifth and sixth graders. And uh, a couple weeks into that, I said, what did I get myself into? Um, but God has a way of doing, doing stuff, and uh, praise the Lord. It, and after, I had a great group of people to work with, and God actually uh, did some great things there, and went to cabin with those kids and other things, and you just never know. You never know what God will do, and we just step out in faith and take, take the opportunities that he, he puts before us. Um, little Johnny came to church one morning, and uh, it was a different preacher up there, and he said, Mommy, where's, uh, where's Pastor George? And he said, oh, he's on vacation. This, is, this guy is a substitute preacher. Substitute, what's substitute? And uh, she tried to explain it to him in terms you understand. Well, you remember when you and your friends were playing baseball and you hit that ball through the window, broke the glass, and your daddy put, you know, put cardboard in there in the window frame until the you know, glass repair person came and put a real pane of glass in there? And he goes, yeah, I remember that. And he says, well, the, the cardboard was the substitute for the real pane of glass. And the giant goes, okay, so the cardboard, the substitute is better the real pain. Yeah. So Johnny seemed to grasp it. His mother was happy that, you know, just a timely illustration, and they went out with the service. But at the end of the service, Johnny said, Mama, that was no substitute. He was the real pain, that guy. He was the real pain. <laughs> well, I hope not to be a real pain this morning, but I also, at the same time, I do hope you feel challenged. I hope you feel a little stirred up. I hope this coming together makes a difference in your life. Because if we meet together week after week and spend this hour seeking God, hearing the, his word, uh, opening our lives, and it doesn't have any impact, you got to start wondering, well, why do we bother doing this? That, that was kind of my experience as in my early church life. It, 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 it seemed boring. It seemed irrelevant. And as soon as my parents stopped forcing me to go, psh, I booked out of there and, and, and did my own thing. Uh, I heard a pastor say once, you know, it's... It's a crime, if not a sin, to bore people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, do something. Do something during that hour. Do something. Even if you make people angry, don't let them leave the same way they came in. I don't want you to go away angry this morning, but I, I hope you, you feel something. I hope you sense something from God that he has for you today. And it makes a difference. When you leave here, you feel that your life is different. And this week ahead of you, you're going to do something different because you've met together with other believers in God's presence. 
and it, it does make a difference. If you hear these past four Sundays, you know Pastor Randy's been sharing with us uh, the activities that we consider make up a fully devoted follower of Christ, which is our mission statement. And uh, I don't know if you've memorized these, but I have them, I have them written down. First one is to commit to following Christ. Second is connect with one another. Third is to serve my church and my world. And the fourth is to share the good news. We say these activities kind of describe what a Christ follower looks like. And they're also a prescription of the activities to engage in, you know, to be a Christ follower, to, to, to move in, in that direction. So we want to do that. Uh, they may not sound compelling and exciting of themselves, but for those of us who know the scripture, who have had a spiritual awakening, have seeked to practice, we call the, the disciplines of faith, of doing the things that Christ has called us to do, we have found that Jesus is the best thing happening. I hope, you raise, raise your hand if you don't mind, if you feel Jesus Christ is the best thing happening in your life. Because that happened to me about 37 years ago, folks, and uh, I haven't found anything else that even compares. Nothing comes close to what we have in Jesus Christ. The earlier Christ followers, they experienced not a boring Christianity or religion. They, they experienced spiritual boldness, miracles, love, unity, joy, and generosity by obeying and doing the things that Jesus taught and taught by the apostles. This morning, there's an uh, outline in your bulletin like this that uh, we'll, we'll bring the, the words. If you want to follow with that, you know, we'll bring the, the words to fill in. Also, on the back of that, if you're using a mobile device, there's information there about the version Bible, how you can uh, follow along with that if you, if you desire. I want you to all have the best chance to make the most of this time together. And even though we prayed, I'm just going to have one more short prayer just to commit everything to Jesus. Lord, thanks for this opportunity, and Lord, it's a holy, uh, a holy charge, and I want to do it well, and I know, Lord, it's only your grace, so just grant me the freedom that the Holy Spirit will give me the right words, that I will speak effectively and carefully and, and boldly as you would have me, that we will, Lord, leave this place different than when we came in, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you very much. Um, this morning, we're going to highlight an aspect of the, the activities of the early church that, that often tends to get neglected for some reason. I, I don't know fully why I got some ideas. It's not a glamorous activity. It often goes on behind the scenes. And you may say, what is that? And uh, the, the item is, or the activity is, in the context of their activities, of the early church, they were coupled with prayer. Prayer was... Uh, a huge part of what the early church did. It wasn't just the tagon, you know? Oh, let's pray for a meal. Let's, uh, you know, oh, let's, let's pray for little John. <laughs> I gotta leave little Johnny out of this. He's had enough action today. Uh, pray for Susie's, you know, you know, broken arm or whatever. Uh, there was a much more to the, the church. We see it all through uh, the book of Acts and uh, through both the Old and New Testaments that prayer was a huge part of what the church did. And it began, um, you know, during uh, the time of Christ and continued, particularly on, on the day of Pentecost. If you, you remember, the church began, it was roughly 50 days after the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ came the day of Pentecost. And it was about 10 days after Jesus ascended. You know, he was on the earth for about 40 days after his resurrection. Not everybody realizes that. And he appeared many times to many people. And then he had like over 100 people gathered that watched him ascend back to heaven. Very, very powerful. 
And Jesus told them after his ascension, he said, wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what they were to do. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, this violent wind. And the Spirit entered into the room where they were gathered. Some say up to 120 people, followers were gathered in this room, what we call the upper room, when the Holy Spirit came in, like this rushing wind, and he also came as fire, and these little flames of fire um, kind of rested on people, and they were empowered, they were filled with God's Spirit, and they went out into Jerusalem and started preaching, teaching the good news of Jesus Christ in languages they had never heard, up to 16 different languages or more, and it was obvious a miracle. It, it grabbed people's attention, it drew them together, and as they came together to find out what's going on, the apostle Peter preached a message to those who were present. And as he preached, the Holy Spirit brought conviction upon those who are listening. And that, that word conviction can be a little nebulous because we're, we're used to the Holy Spirit being a comforter. Remember Jesus said, Holy Spirit comforts us. You know, and that, that we like that. It feels good. But Jesus also talked about the Holy Spirit. He comes to convict, to convict of my sin, to convict of God's righteousness and holiness, and to, and to convict that there's a judgment, that someday I will come before God and give answer about my sin and his righteousness. Well, if that's the case, I'm sinful, God's holy, I'm going to be judged. I'm in trouble, right? I need a savior. I need some help in, in this situation. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit brought that conviction, not a condemnation, not a guilt that you're no good and you're, you're, you're done for. No, a conviction that I need help. And the help is savior named Jesus Christ. And the people, when they heard the message, they responded and, and they said, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of your sin, and you too shall receive the Holy Spirit. You can be enlivened and empowered with the Spirit of God too. I love wires and technology and all this stuff. I don't know why it's slipping around, but I'll try to stop. Okay, so this, you know, you say, well, this is great. Well, it was more than great. 3,000 people responded and were baptized that day. Wow. How many preachers would, would like to preach and see 3,000 people respond to the message of Jesus Christ and be baptized? It was very significant. And this is what we call the, the birth of the church. The, the early believers gathered together, the Holy Spirit coming, empowering them. They actually now are joined together as the body of Christ and 3,000 people are brought in. It's very powerful. So what's next? What do you do with 3,000 people? Well, starting in, in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it tells us what the early believers did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And as they did these activities, it says a deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in needs. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, they're praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added 
to their fellowship, those who are being saved. Does that sound like boring religion to you? I hope not, because it wasn't, and that's not what God has called us to. They were exciting times. Uh, some people say we need to get back to that first century church. Yes, there are elements that we want to incorporate and use to experience what they did. To get a clearer picture of that and, and what was happening there, sometimes it's helpful uh, to understand that the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and we usually lose a little something every time. I'm losing my earpiece at this time. Um, we lose a little something in translation, lost in translation. Some of those nuances and things that might not necessarily get picked up. And there's a few things in this passage I'd like to highlight so we do, we can grasp maybe a little fuller, get a little better idea of what was going on there. And the first one is that those words devoted themselves, devoted themselves to. It's not just devoted myself to watch football later today or, or Monday night. The, the word here, devoted to, is, is more powerful. It, it, it would mean like being constantly steadfast, focused, diligently persistent, okay? Persevering, unified. It's, it carries a much more targeted idea and intentional focus than what we would think of just in our you know, English word devote. And the words here are also plural. They apply to all four of the activities mentioned here. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper and prayer. And I think most of us here would say, yeah, you know, we gotta, we gotta worship, we need to fellowship, we need to hear God's word preach. And it's, you know, it's important we just don't do those on our own. We need to come together and do that. But how many of us would say that prayer and praying in groups is just as important as worshiping, as hearing God's word, as fellowship? Well, according to scripture, it is. This is what the early church did. They constantly did it. It was a part of their life, just not an add-on. And the second word here, enjoy, in verse uh, 46, also tends to miss the fullness of the original Greek. Um, sometimes it's translated gladness, joy, and others. But it, it actually, it's an, a super ecstatic, exuberant joy. It's like a little kid on Christmas morning getting every present he wants. It's like the last day of school. And it's over and over again. Now, if you were like me with a little kid, I looked forward to that last day of school, and it was great. It's being bonkers with joy. These folks really had a good time. There's nothing about boring religion going on here. And then in verse 47, it says, the Lord was adding to their numbers every day. This is huge. Recognize, you know, it wasn't just the things they were doing per se, it was God at work. It was the Spirit of God drawing people in. People saw something special about those people and what was happening among them, and God was bringing more people to himself. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ said would happen. Remember, he promised them, you'll have power, right? He said, you'll have power to fulfill your mission. And that, that day before he ascended to heaven, remember, he, he gathered his followers kind of like for a, a final briefing before his departure to make sure they got it right. And he mentioned the Holy Spirit coming to them in Jerusalem and being Jews, you know, the disciples and followers, well, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this the fulfillment of the prophecy that we once again will be chief as, as God's people among the world? Whoa, Jesus slowed him down a little bit. He said, 
The Father has fixed these by his own authority. It's not for you to figure out time and epics or dates. They're not for you to know. Listen, he says, this is your job. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, that's what you want to focus on. Now, it does, that doesn't mean we neglect prophecy or we don't know the signs of the time and we're, we're not eager for the return of Christ and to be ready and have a sense of urgency, but we're not to be guessing dates and trying to make these predictions because how many people who have guessed dates and made predictions have been right so far? If they have been, we wouldn't be here, right? Our focus is to be witnesses, is to share the good news of Jesus Christ both from his words and personally what he's done for you. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. A witness of what, what he's done for us. So the kingdom of Christ, of Jesus Christ, at this time of the church is a spiritual kingdom and it's comprised of all nations. It's not about borders and physical people. It's all people of all nations. In fact, in the Great Commission that we call in Matthew 28, when Jesus told them to go and make disciples, the literal Greek here, it says, pante te ethne. What does that word ethne sound like? Ethnic. And pan, all, right? All ethnic groups. All peoples of all groups. Not just borders and physical things. All people. Everybody is made in God's image. God wants everybody to be in his kingdom in his family and worship and serve him together. That gives him great glory and honor when we do it, and he loves us. Uh, Donna Atto and the Gateway Missions team is currently uh, organizing more outreach to the international students of, of this area. You know, you don't have to go to Europe or Asia or Africa or South America to witness to people of different ethnic groups. Many of you are present among us. Harris County is, has about almost every group here present if you want to have the impact that Christ has called us to. And the international students are one of the most perfect opportunities. These folks are away from home. Many of them are lonely. They don't have friends. The vast majority, 70% or more, will never get, Amer never get invited into an American's home. That's a crime, folks. They're right at our door. Many of them never heard about Jesus Christ, have never had an authentic witness, have seen him in the life of others. They are knocking. They are right here. We don't have to go across the ocean, folks. Go across the street. Talk to Donna Attu. Make a difference as Jesus has called us to do. It's not that hard, and we can even enjoy it along the way. Through these activities, we, you know, in the Bible, we see that prayer is demonstrated as a means which God often reveals himself in dramatic ways. Uh, we see this uh, precedent laid in the early life of the church. You know, after the, the church got going and started spreading and, and uh, having an impact, you know, people got kind of worried. They said, you know, these guys are getting too big, and they started healing people in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John were, were, were arrested by the religious leaders. Isn't that ironic that the religious leaders gave them grief for healing somebody? Wouldn't you think that religious leaders would want people healed? But they, you know, it wasn't their way. So they, they called them in. They threatened them. They said, you got to stop talking in the name of Jesus Christ. 
We can't deny this miracle's happened, but we don't want you guys doing this anymore and talking about Jesus. So, you know, what did they do? What would you, you, know, what would you do? Well, I guess, you know, we better, better stop doing it. We don't want to offend anybody, you know. Is that what they did? What does the Bible say? Verse 23 of Acts 4, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers. They told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. What is the first thing they did? They joined together in prayer. What is the first thing we should do when we encounter a problem or a struggle? How often you hear the expression, well, I guess all we have left to do now is pray. We've tried everything else, right? Now we're going to pray. That's off, you know, that's the last thing. It says it should be the first thing we should do is bring the situation, the problem, whatever it is, bring it to God in prayer. That's what the church did. They poured out their hearts before God. They acknowledged the difficult situation. They asked for confidence to obey Jesus rather than backing down that they would have the ability to keep speaking in his name. And verse 31 records the results. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They didn't back down. They brought it back to God in prayer. And they were empowered then to bring it back to the people. That, that is the precedent we have of the early church. Prayer it's just not an add-on. It's, it's, our, it's our life. It's our, our vital communication. It doesn't have to be elaborate or complicated or formal. Prayer is simply communicating with our creator and knowing that he is the lover of our soul, that he cares for us. That is an incentive of us to pray. God cares, Scripture says. It goes on in Psalm 62. It says, Oh, my people, trust in him at all times, Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. And use this cup as illustration. If I was to pour out this water, if I was to pour it out, folks, how much would I leave in this cup? I may get in trouble with the maintenance facility person. If I'm to pour out this cup, how much water should come out of this thing if I truly pour it out? All of it, right? I would dump it out before God. And that's what he says to us. Dump out your heart. Before me, don't hold anything back. The good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassment, the shame, the pain, the sin I've committed, whatever is there. God already knows. We're not hiding anything from him. Just pour it out before him, he says. And he goes on to say, I am a refuge. I am a safe place for you to do that. Some things we want to do in private. Other things we may be able to do with another person depending on the situation or with, with the group. But pour it out before him. Don't hold anything back. It goes on to promise in Psalm 16. It says, you will show me the way of life, granting me joy in your presence and pleasures of living with you forever. There's joy. There's even pleasure in the presence of God. That's a good thing. God wants us to pray. He wants us to draw near to him. We have the ability to pray individually, we should take full advantage of that. But many prayers recorded for us in the New Testament were done in groups. That's what Jesus taught. And in Matthew 18, he said, I tell you this, if two, or, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you may ask, my Father will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among you. Look at this. He's saying, 
If you're gathered, it's great to pray individually, but he says, when we come together and pray as a group, he says, there's another dynamic. There's like a spiritual synergism that has greater impact when we pray together. We want to pray all the time as individuals, but more than that, we want to be coming together and praying. Andrew Wheeler in his book, Together in Prayer, talks about how to do this. It's not, it's not easy for some of us to do it. And one of the things you need to know when you come together in prayer, not everybody necessarily has to pray out loud. I can be in a group praying with people, and I can be praying in my spirit, in my mind, okay? So don't be too scared. The first time I prayed in a group was really awkward. I still remember it. It was back in the, the, the lighting and sound crew. Uh, right before a service, we gathered together, held hands. Somebody asked me to pray. Don't know why. And I prayed, and it was really, it was really terrible, right? And afterward, a guy took me off to the side. He says, Tom, will you... Feeling a little awkward there? I mean, was that obvious? Yes, it was very, very awkward. And he said, uh, he says, Tom, he said, you want to hear what I do when I pray in a group? I said, sure. He says, I pretend like I'm in this plastic tube going straight to God. And, you know, it doesn't matter who's around me because I'm in this plastic tube and it's really just God I'm praying to. Folks, I've been praying plastic tube prayers to God for over 35 years. And somehow they seem to work for me. Find out what works for you, okay? That was just something that works for me. But don't, take the step of faith. Step out. You know, our spiritual growth does not take place in our comfort zone. It takes place when we step out of our comfort zone and trust God rather than our own abilities. Psychologist Henry Cloud says, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, because if I am comfortable with being uncomfortable, he says, there's no limit to your growth if you can get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where stuff happens. That's where growth takes place. That's where the excitement is, okay? So take step out in faith. But Andrew Wheeler, in his book called Praying Together, he lists some of the benefits of, of praying in community. And I, those, I'll, I'll give you those. They're in your bulletin, and we'll fill in those blanks. Some of the benefits are faith is built and shared as God answers prayer. You know, we encourage each other and prompt each other as we see God working and answering prayer. It says unity is produced when we pray for one another. And that's a high priority. If you read John 17 twice in what is called the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed for the unity of church, not just for the believers of that time, but he said for those that will believe through their word. Yeah, he prayed for you and me that we would be unified, that we would work together as one. And he said, by this, Father, the world will know that you sent me because they are one. They're working together. People of many different backgrounds coming together, working together with one is evidence of a dynamic greater than ourselves. And that dynamic is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, pulling us together. God is honored when we address him as father. And I didn't have time for a service. But I want to give this a little illustration. This. How many of you as parents enjoy hearing your children say, mommy, daddy, you know, mother, father? Does that feel good to you? God, it feels good to God. Jesus referred to him as father. He told the disciples to call him our father. And in Romans 8, it says the spirit within us is prompting us to say, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. You know, that's, that's, God enjoys that. He's, he wants us to do it. I remember when my daughter, our first child, was about 18 months old, right? 
And uh, I was going over to play, pay the rent with our landlord, who was an elderly gentleman. And we're at, we're at the chair. We're at the, we're at the stoop at the door. And I'm waiting for the landlord to come. I got the check. And as he opens the door, my, my daughter, she hadn't spoken any words at this point. I hear her say, Joe, like that. And the gentleman's name was Joe. And he was an elderly guy, and I'm pretty sure she didn't hear him. And then she goes, Joe, a little louder. And I remember his, he looks down. He has this big smile on his face. He says, I think she said Joe. The first word my daughter says is Joe, the landlord, not daddy, right? Aren't they supposed to say dad-da or something like that? She said Joe. So it made him happy, and she has called me dad since then. Praise the Lord. But God delights. God delights us. That means we're his children, right? He, we are his children, and he delights to hear us call him father. Fourthly, we are empowered to accomplish his will. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of discipline, of sound mind. It empowers us, right, to accomplish God's will. It's a good, it's good to be empowered by God's spirit. You know, just as the day of Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit came like that mighty rushing wind. Jesus used that analogy when he was in John uh, 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was having trouble understanding these, these you know, spiritual truths, and Jesus said to him, the spirit is like the wind. He comes and goes as he wishes. And just like the wind, you see its effect, but you have no control over what it, what it does. He says, so is the Holy Spirit, you know? And so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's, it's somewhat of a mystery, but it's, it's like the wind. And the Holy Spirit, he is God. He brings about the life of God within us. You know, our, our life in Christ begins with the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit as we are, we call, born again not just physically, but now spiritually as a child of God. And then we need his energizing power every day to live as a child of God. Do you realize that God has never asked us to live as a Christ follower in human energy? It's, it's really impossible. Only the Holy Spirit within us can produce the fruit that God wants to see in our lives. Our job is to abide. Remember Jesus said, you are the vine. I says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, I will produce the fruit through you. We will bear the fruit, but we cannot produce the fruit. We can only bear it if we're connected to Jesus Christ. So that's what God you know, calls us to do. We can't live that life apart from his grace pleasing to you. Trying to live the, the Christian life without the empowerment of the Spirit is like trying to sail a boat without actually raising your sail. I'm not, I've, I've been in a few sailboats here and there. I'm not a professional sail, but, but I know that unless you get that sail up, you're, you're really not going to have much fun out in that boat, are you? I mean, the, 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 the tide may take you or the, you know, you may drift a little bit or you got to paddle, but you're not going to enjoy the power of the wind and what it will do if you're trying to sail that boat with your sail down. It's, you know, it's, it's, that's pretty obvious. How many of us try to live the Christian life and are feeling frustrated because we, we don't sense the power of the Holy Spirit? My buddy Drake's going to help me out here in just a moment. And we're, I'm going to give a book away this morning called Why Keep Praying When You Don't See Results by Robert Morris. Robert Morris is a pastor up in Dallas at a, another gateway church other than ours. Uh, great guy. 
And is there somebody here that thinks you would benefit from this book? You've been praying, you've been looking for God, ma'am, right there. What color is that shirt? Is that fuchsia, that shirt you have? Is that right? Is that fuchsia? Praise the Lord. Know how I know that? My wife. I would have never known that if my wife did not educate me. Drake, you got a fuchsia shirt on too. Kind of? Would you give that to lady? God bless you. Don't give up praying. You know, Jesus said, pray always and faint not. There are times when life is just overwhelming. We feel like fainting, like giving up. He says, keep praying. Don't give up. Raise your sail. Raise your sail up before the Holy Spirit. And up behind us here, shortly there's going to be a graphic. Raising the sail up, you know, on a sailboat is like catching the wind of the Holy Spirit. This sailor is going places, right? And he looks like he's enjoying it. And I learned something this weekend by preparing those little streamers on the end of the sail. They tell you that he's doing it right. See how the at least the top one is out. That means he has the sail form, formed correctly so he's getting maximum power. And a huge thing I learned this weekend when I was studying for this message about sailing, did you know that when you have that sail properly configured, you're not only catching the force of the wind, there's something called airfoil. An airfoil is the dynamic used on aircraft wings. The curvature on the wing if you know the molecules going over the wing have to travel further and faster and they separate. And because of that, the, the molecules under the wing that are more dense and together, they're trying to get up here where the vacuum is and that's what gives you lift in an aircraft. So next time you get an aircraft, make sure it has wings on it, okay? Because it's just not going to fly without it. Smart sailors know if they get that sail right, they create an airfoil. So it's not just to force the wind, they're actually creating this vacuum in front of the sail that now they got this extra force and pressure that allows them to even go faster than the power of the wind. That's smart. That's being smart. That's what God would have us do. Be smart. Take full advantage of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and enjoy the ride that he will give you. Raising the sail and getting the Spirit's power, that's is great. We can do that as individually, but we cannot accomplish the mission that Jesus Christ has given us by acting alone. God has called us to work together in unity as with other Christ followers. Psalm 133, it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's wonderful. We work together. We do things. There's, there's, again, that synergism effect. But yet, the opposite, the opposite is also true. We don't work together. And that's the next slide coming up. Okay, these are sailors that were not working together, people. Uh, obviously, something went wrong here because rather than working together, they are, they are competing, right? This, this is a competition. People, these are sailboats that are competing with each other rather than working, working together. I subtitled this, this slide, uh, when Christians behave poorly, okay? Instead of working together and loving God and, and forming, you know, together, uh, we do what, what the Apostle Paul uh, stated in, uh, oh, it was actually James. The Apostle James in, in James 4, he talked about what causes conflict and chaos among good people, among Christian people, okay? This comes out of James 4, 1 and 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. 
You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask God. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Get your own pleasures. You see that, folks? A lot of what we get in life is regarded to prayer. Am I asking God for what I want? Am I asking for him for the right kind of things that he as a good parent is delighted to give me? Or am I asking for selfish things that I want to do that will make me great to get what I want? Or am I working with God? Am I submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to the truth of his word? Am I joining together with other believers to accomplish what God wants? Selfish lifestyles are destructive the harmony and cooperation of believers. The church body is most effective when we seek God together and serve his purpose rather than my own. And this is the type of sailing we want to do right here. Look at this now. Check this out. Isn't this the kind of sailboat you'd like to be part of a crew? Does this look like boring religion? I don't know a lot about sailing. I hope somebody will invite me out in a sailboat. That's my, part of my arterial motive for talking about this. Somebody out there is going to invite me on a sailboat, right? Sometime, because I would enjoy doing this. This is what God has called us to do. This is what the early church experienced. Excitement, daring, working together. Each person knowing their ability, what their role is. And man, that boat is cruising. They're having a good time, I would say. They, you know, that's exciting. I don't see them stressed out. I don't, you know, I see excitement. I see them enjoying the ride. And I think, folks, that's what God would have us to do. Prayer is a major part to be empowered and do the work that God has called us to do in, in unity. Jesus said, you know, as human parents, we give, gifts, give good, good gifts to our children. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit if you ask him? He wants us to be empowered and filled with his spirit. In fact, another place in James, it says, God jealously desires his spirit to dwell within us. You say, well, God's not supposed to be jealous. He's jealous for us because he loves us and knows that he is the best thing. That's not a selfish jealousy. That's a sacrificial jealousy giving himself to us because he knows that he's the only thing that's really going to satisfy the deepest corner of my heart as it says in ecclesiastes he has what does he say he has put eternity in their hearts folks there's part of each one of us that only god can satisfy and all the materialism and pleasures and pursuits and everything i'm trying to do to make myself happy falls short again and again and again because i can't fill that part that only god only god can do it you may not have a lot of experience praying. You may not know where to plug into. But uh, I have listed for you a few of the things happening every week at Gateway. These are opportunities to pray together. Sunday morning, we're going to always have people down here to pray with you. There's groups, gonna, you know, there's groups meeting throughout the week. There's a bunch of groups starting up today, as Robert Sherrill said before the service. Get in a group. If you're not plugged in to a group that might be a big reason why you're missing out on some of the life and dynamic we're talking about. Scripture says to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another. How can we do that on our own? We can't. We have to be plugged into a group. Tuesday morning, we have prayer group ministry down here in the path. 10 o'clock a.m. to 2 o'clock, a group of ladies, and yes, even men, 
will gather together and make these beautiful quilts. They pray together. They fellowship. Each one of those quilts, sometimes they know who it's going to, sometimes they know, but all of them are prayed for. They're sent out with the goodness and prayer of God when they leave here. Wednesday morning at 11.30, we have open prayer hour in our prayer room. How many of y'all know where the prayer room is of Gateway Church? Okay. If you go down entrance five across from the Life Center, right before you leave out, look to your right, the last door across from the warehouse, that's our prayer room. Every time Gateway Building's open, that room's supposed to be open, and that's, that's available to you and to others. Come together, pray. Uh, Wednesday night, I'm going to start a small group using this book beginning this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. called If We Will, He Will. Okay, sign up for that if you want to join together with others when you get serious about prayer. And then daily, opportunities. I prayed with four or five people already this morning, just spontaneously. You know, we're, you know, on your own or with others, just pray. Pray without ceasing, Scripture says. What will God do in answer to our focused and fervent prayer? You know, I'm not sure. I know it will be good, and I know that the only way we're going to find out, there's only one way to find out, folks. It's not talking about prayer. It's not me up here preaching about prayer. It is praying, okay? It's to pray, to see what he will do. God is good. It's because in Scripture he opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. As easy as you and I do that, that's how easy it is, God. Not only meet our needs, but even our desires, not just ours, but those of the whole world. You believe that? If God spoke creation into existence, if he hasn't lost any of his power, that's what my Bible tells me, he's able to do all kinds of things any time. What will he do in answer to our prayer? There's one way to find out. Why not start today? You want somebody to pray with you? We'll have the prayer team down here when the, when the service is over, and they'll be glad to pray with you. Um, if, you brought, if, you're, uh, if you're new to Gateway today or if you brought somebody with you want to say hello, I'll be out there, that exit in our first steps area, following the service here for a few minutes. I'm actually going to come back in for communion because my wife and son are here, and I, I want to have communion with them. Um, what else? We got the next steps area. Out here and out in our lobby here, there's all kinds of resources, small groups, things happening. Gateway is an exciting place, folks, but it doesn't just happen. We got to enter into it and what, see what God is doing. And at the conclusion of the service, you may have figured out already, we have the Lord's Supper prepared for us. We're going we're gonna to have communion together. We're going to take the opportunity, commemorate what Jesus Christ did for his, on his sacrifice for us on the cross. We're gonna contemplate his body. We're gonna think about his blood and what he's done on our behalf. A great time just to consider uh, the, the message today and about our, our prayer life and communicating with God. Jesus said, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive and your joy will be made full. Father, I do praise your holy name. Thank you for this time together for each person here. Father, we pray, Lord, for your help and understanding of the working of the Holy Spirit, why prayer is so important, and Lord, even if we don't understand it all, help us, God, to by faith, may we practice, may we pray. We commune with you, dear God, about everything. When we pray individually, may we pray in groups, may we pray for our church, our community, and pray for this country, dear God. How much will you do in response to prayer if we simply ask, Lord God? We don't know, but I pray we will find out. 
and that Christ will be glorified. We will experience your joy and goodness in ways maybe we never had and see you work in powerful ways. And in your name I pray, amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.